0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Before we even say anything, I want to thank the worship team again. You guys. See, it's our job to enter his courts with thanksgiving. And it's all of our jobs to stay in his court and his gates with praise. And you help us do that. So we do our part and every week, you guys do your part as well. But I also want to do another couple of shout outs to all of the greeters and the ushers and the security team. The lights just came on, so it threw me off for a second. And the childcare workers and the tech department because it would be a little different experience without them, we wanna just say thank you. Because this is what we do as family. And speaking of family, we have two family members that used to be here. You guys live out west now somewhere. But the buckets are here, and they were elders in this church, if you don't know them. One wave, one wave, there you go. So we just want to welcome you, and it's good to see you guys. It's funny, Essie and I were talking about you two this morning on the way to church. It was like, oh, wow, look at that, they're there. But what we are is family, whether we're living out west or wherever we are, we're family. And as the family of God, what we're called to do is live and move and have our being in him. And our living, moving, and having our being needs to be rooted in faith. Because ultimately that's what this is all about. It's about having faith. And our faith needs to be based on the fact that God is all-powerful and he's all-knowing, and he's everywhere. All-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere. But even above and beyond that is his grace toward us. Because he could be some kind of all-powerful maniac out there, but that's not what he is. What he is is our loving father who extends his love and his grace toward us. He feeds us daily. He equips us, and he calls us. He instructs us in matters that are eternal, but he also gives us the ability to know how to live here on this planet, how to get along with each other, which is important. He creates us to reflect his character. Think back to Adam, I talked about that once before, but he created us so that way we are literally his children. And for all of us parents in here, you know, people can look at your kid and say, wow, I know who his daddy is, I know who his mommy is. Well, when we walk about, that's what we should be happening with us as well, because he created us to look and to be like him. And he also provides for us to dwell eternally with him, and he does that by giving us the ability to accept his love, and that love is expressed to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So before I say anything else, let's pray, because that's important. So Lord, we come before you, we thank you for this day, for this opportunity to gather together as family, as your children, in honor of the Lord, being led by the Spirit, to learn and to be strengthened so that we're able to do the work that you would have us do. We love you and we thank you. and praise your name. Amen. So now to the sermon. So we're talking about faith and we're talking about grace, but when you think about it, All you have to do is look around in the world, and there's all kind of madness that's going on out there. You got theory after theory that says, oh, no, you people are just stupid. You're, like, mindless. Religion is the opiate of the masses and all this type of stuff. And here's some specifics. Anybody heard of the multiverse? (laughs) See, now, you older folk probably ain't raising your hand, but the, the younger ones would know. See, the multiverse says we don't live in the cosmos We live in kind of like a diamond of a cosmos, and there's all these different universes and different things that are out there, and literally there's like multiple versions of you out there somewhere, and each one might be having a different kind of slightly story, different story going on. There's a whole concept of time travel, which says that, now get this, you can go back in time and find something That you're now living with that didn't work out too good you can go back and fix it so you go back like 50 years and you do something different so now your new reality changes because literally it's like a new timeline a new branch gets started it's like there's all these things out there all these madness all these types of theories not only that there's the fact that we do live in a cosmos that's so big we can't really get our own heads around it so that's part of the problem we talk to people that sound like they're so official and they have knowledge and they're, they're scientists and da da da, and then we have faith, which sometimes manifests in a way that you can't miss it, but many times it's like you just have to have faith. So we're living in a cosmos that's 14 billion, more than 14 billion years old. It's got millions, if not billions of galaxies. Each galaxy has billions, if not trillions of stars. So we can't really necessarily get our head around this this neighborhood, if you will, that we're living in. So when we talk to people that have these theories, sometimes it's difficult. And sometimes we don't necessarily want to say anything because they sound like they're so smart and they have this information. But the bottom line is that the creator of this universe, the creator, makes himself known to us. He reveals himself to us through his love and his grace he has specifically revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he makes this known. He, he gives us the ability to respond positively positively through the Holy Spirit, our Father, the Great I Am. Now, just a quick aside, I didn't really check, but I think the last time I spoke it was June and we talked about the names of God. That was one of the things that we talked about. And Ian and I had put together the list. So I think they're out there at the... Uh, the What's it called? Watch this. Yes, the information center. <laughs> but it's out there. So if you wanted to get a copy of the list, it's out there. And so we don't need to go over that again. But the name, some of the, by the way, those aren't all of the names. There's many of the names. God has so many names. He's multifaceted. So if we, let's get into the sermon now. So if we take a look at 1 Corinthians 8, 5, and 6, it says... So when I was preparing, I found an uh, Old Testament passage in Psalm 94 that is going to go along with what we'll be talking about. It comes from Psalm 94, verses 2 to 11, and then again verses 20 to 23, and it says, "Rise up, O Judge of the earth, repay the proud what they deserve." O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fathers. And they say, now get this, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. However, the writer of Psalm, this Psalm says, Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nation, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Can wicked rulers be allied with you, allied with you, those who frame injustice by statute? Now think about that for a second. Think about all the legislators what's going on in Washington, I don't know necessarily about Fishkill and Beacon, but what's going on in Washington, all these rules that are coming out, all these laws that are kinda of making no kind of sense, both parties, I don't know that any of them are saved, and that's why we're dealing with what we're dealing with. But can wicked rulers be allied with you? Those who frame injustice by statute, they band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold And my God, the rock of my refuge, he will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord, our God, will wipe them out. Now, this is just in case you get nervous. This is not going to be a fire and brimstone service sermon. I could do one of those, but that's not what the Lord had me do today. But he does say he will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. Which leads us to the title, because you always spend a little bit of time when you're coming up to what is the title of the sermon. And what I came up with for today was, If, Then, Therefore. If, Then, Therefore. And where's Frank? Frank, I told you we're going to do a reference, so we have to do a word definition, because if we don't do definitions, then we feel like something got left out. But it's a very short title, so we only have two words that we're going to do a definition of. If and therefore now what if is is it's a conjunction meaning it kind of joins two things together and it literally means that on the condition of or suppo- the supposition that if and therefore means consequently or as a result of so you're probably saying okay so where do you get this title from because that's kind of like a strange title Well, I really kind of got it from my undergraduate school roots. I went to SUNY Binghamton, and at SUNY Binghamton, I was a lit and rhetoric major and Afro-American studies major. And what rhetoric is, one of the definitions, a smaller, shorter definition, is it's the art of persuasion, the art of persuasion, basically meaning it's like how you argue things, how you make points about things. And rhetoric has been studied by the philosophers, there's different rhetorical theories that are out there, which talk about really dialectic arguments, which is where the sermon is going to wind up going. So if we talk about dialectic, well, what is it that we mean? Well, the dialectic is the specific technique of arguing or the technique of persuasion that's used in rhetoric. What it is is deliberative and it's logical. So it's not like an emotional argument. You see people get on TV and ah, blah, blah. No, it's not that. You sit down, you talk with people and you kind of rationalize things that are going on. The dialectic is practical and it tends to be persuasive. And interestingly, what it does is it sees things from multiple perspectives, multiple perspectives. You can see both sides and then you kind of argue out both sides, which is not what you're seeing going on in Washington now. Now is, if you don't agree with me, you're a monster and you're an idiot, as opposed to let's take a look at the good points of this and the good points of that and come up with something that makes the most sense. So the dialectic, what it does is it acquires knowledge and it gets you gets and or gives you understanding through your thoughts and your senses and your experiences more than just your emotions it's more like a heady thing you sit down you talk and you have a rational understanding so what are its considerations if you're talking about the dialectic what does that mean well it has three basic parts there's the thesis there's the antithesis and then there's the synthesis yeah y'all are getting scared I know I, <laughs> don't worry I'm not going to do this much longer the thesis is basically what is the premise that you're saying? What is it that what you're talking about means? I'm talking about X, Y, Z. That is my, prem- my thesis. The antithesis is the opposite side of that. So if I say, well, everything is up. Well, everything is up. That means by definition, there are some things that are down. So let's take a look at both of those. And the synthesis is how you combine, how you put together that which is one way as opposed to that which is on the other side of that. Thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. And the reason why I'm taking the time to talk about this is because it really is important. Because through the process of looking at one side and the other and then examining, that's how you really get to the truth. Sometimes the truth just jumps right out at you. We've all been praying. The Lord just dropped it on you. Boom, this is truth. And you go, oh, wow. But more times than not, you're going, you're reading, you're studying, you're talking, you were thinking about something. Somebody over here says something, and then you kind of put it all together. So truth more times than not, truth is always revealed, whether it's suddenly or it's over a process of time. And what it involves is the uncovering of truth through ideas and questions and exposing the contradictions as opposed to, well, I believe XYZ, I'm on TV, right? We're we're doing a role play, I'm on TV and I believe in XYZ and that's why this is true. As opposed to looking at anything on the other side of the aisle, because we're looking, we're thinking about the whole Washington DC thing. As opposed to thinking about anything that's on the other side of the aisle, this is my position and, and I don't wanna hear anything else that anybody's saying. But if you're going to be involved in the dialectic, if you want to be involved in getting to the truth, what you have to do by definition is you have to look at the pros and cons of what it is that you're saying. You have to look at the advantages and the disadvantages, because the best way that you get to a point is looking at what's good and bad, what works and what doesn't work. And then you also want to take a a look at the possibilities and its limitations, Okay, It's not just, again, it's not just a, I feel this way because, it's like let's look at what we're talking about let's see where this is going what makes the most sense what gets us to the truth So if we're talking about the dialectic we go back to the sermon title and what we're really talking about is if then, or if then therefore types of arguments What they are, I purposely didn't put up a slide because I know you're going to get a little nervous, but It's what's called a hypothetical syllogism. See now you know why I put it up, right? A hypothetical syllogism. But what that basically means is that you're taking two premises. You're taking it's hypothetical, the if part. You're taking two premises and then you're putting them together and you're coming up with a conclusion. And provided that what you're saying is true then that means that the conclusion that you come up with is also true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But what he said was true, and therefore the conclusion or the synthesis of what he said winds up becoming true. So if you're doing a dialectic type of argument, it always basically follows that if-then-therefore format. If-then or if-then-therefore. If it becomes the stated premises, if ABC, for example, then, or therefore, XYZ winds up being the outcome. Here's an example, because I know you're going kind of like, what's he talking about? So this is the example. If I study hard, I'll get an A. If I study hard, I'll get an A. I will study hard, therefore, I will get an A. Okay, that's for you college students, study hard, you gotta know what to do, you do it, and then you'll wind up getting the A. So there were a number of people, the big brains, the heavy thinkers, the philosophers, going back through antiquity, that used dialectic or syllogistic types of arguments. One was Socrates, 469 to 399 BC. He asked and answered questions talking about pros and cons and the advantages and disadvantages of what was going on, the possibilities and limitations of whatever he was talking about. And he did all of this to stimulate critical thinking and to bring out the underlying presuppositions of what was being talked about in the day. Imagine if we would apply that just to what's going on politically in our country today. And that's really what he was doing back then. But Another one was Plato. He was a disciple of Socrates. He lived from 429 to 437 BC. And he's the one that used the term dialectic very extensively in all of his talkings. He examined assumptions about others' beliefs and thoughts. When I was in undergraduate school, I got a kick out of Plato because he would take your argument and then kind of do if, then, therefore, if you're saying this, and then, therefore, that, and how does it do with this type of thing. But he used it to examine different concepts. Aristotle was also a student of Plato, so this was like kind of generational type of thinking. Interestingly, I didn't realize this, but he was a tutor, one of the tutors of Alexander the Great, who we've all at least heard about, we might not have studied, but we know he did some real serious things out there. This was, Aristotle was one of his tutors. More recently, what we have is a German philosopher, from 770 to eight, 1831 his name was gwf Hegel, and he also employed this dialectic process what he did was he examined contradictory processes between opposing sides and he took a look at the different premises and then he would do the apply the if then therefore so i'm done with that that's like the that's like the Rhetoric class part, I'm done with that part. So y'all are happy. I see people are smiling. Oh, he's finally finished with that part. Now, a lot of times, and what I had mentioned that, we don't really tend to engage in too much conversation with the quote-unquote scientists or the smart people of today because they see themselves as being brilliant and are having information and or theories and theses to use, and all we, we're kind of doing is coming with faith. But the reality is, is if you take a look in scripture, We find that noted people in scripture all over the Bible, you see the dialectic process at play. So let's take a look at some of them. First one that came to mind was Paul. Now, what he did was he reasoned with the Greek philosophers of the day. So what you have is this religious guy who was a scholar himself, but a religious guy that got into it with the philosophers of the day. They were running their thing and he's like, "No, you know what? Let's look at it this way. So how that came about was he was preaching the gospel in Berea, and he was being opposed by some Thessalonian Jews that were like stirring up the crowd. So his brothers said, you know, this is like not looking too good. We need to get him out of here. So they sent him by sea over to Athens, and he was waiting for Silas and Timothy to come. And while he was waiting, Scripture said he was provoked by all the idols that he saw everywhere. He was provoked. Now, I'm not asking anybody to raise their hand, but the deal is, is we see a lot of nonsense. All you really gotta do is turn on TV. And, and it's like, boop, oh man, there's nonsense. What I would encourage us to do is start being more provoked about it because there's an agenda that's out there. We have the truth and we need to be as diligent about getting the truth out there as the, the systems are. But anyway, so he was provoked by the idea, the idols that were going on. So he started reasoning with the philosophers. Now, where he did this was like everywhere. He didn't wait to be in church to talk about it. He didn't wait to be in, well, it would have been synagogue. He didn't wait to be in synagogue to talk about it. He went into the marketplace. He went the highways and the byways, and everywhere he went, he shared the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, some of the philosophers called him some kind of a babbler, like listen to this guy what's he talking about he's he's just shooting his lips off but there were other philosophers that said you know because they were listening that's another key you got to really listen to people when they're talking because they'll tell you what it is that you either need to deal with or what it is that they're really dealing with but they listened and they said you know what he's kind of talking about a foreign divinity a divinity that we haven't heard about yet. And he's making a good presentation. So you know what? Let's kind of listen to what he has to say. So they took him to the Areopagus. Aero, See, now I practice saying that. I don't even know how I messed it up. But they took him to the Aeroopagus, which was kind of the, the high court at the time. It was called Ares Hill. Ares was the god of war. So they took him to this place where they used to do these big debates. And if we take a look at Acts 17, 22 to 31, it says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive in every way that you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Now think about that. As opposed to saying, y'all are stupid, just don't make no sense. He was like, you know what? I see what you're doing. Let's talk about the pros and cons, right? His offspring, again, making us his children, making all of us family. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. I'll say that again. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, that man being Jesus Christ, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So while Paul might have been religious, he knew how to put together an argument that was based on truth. Solomon, we know how smart he was, is another individual in the Bible who used the dialect process, the dialectic process. He uttered a number of if-then statements. The temple was being dedicated around 1005 BC. It was finally done, and we're not gonna look at it now, but if you take a look at 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 22 to 39, he he uttered a a number of if the people do this, if, then therefore, God, we want you to do this in response. The if, then, therefore. In verse 22, he says, if a man sins against his neighbor, but he swears an oath, then hear from heaven and judge. Verse 24, if Israel is defeated because of sin, but it turns and acknowledges your name, then forgive and return them, restore them to the land. Verse 26, if or when heaven is shut, they pray and they turn from their sin, then forgive the sin, teach us how to walk, and grant that rain be given to the land. In verse 28, there's a number of them. If there is famine or pestilence or blight or mildew, if the locust or caterpillar comes, if there are enemies besieging the city, if there is plague or if there is sickness, if any of these things happen but the people pray, then we ask you to hear from heaven and render to each according to their hearts that you know. In verse 32, it says, if foreigners come to worship you, then hear from heaven and do all they ask. And I don't want to pass that up. See, we would be the foreigners that they were talking about, that Solomon was talking about. We would be the foreigners that would be coming to worship him. So he is saying a good 3,000 years ago, he was praying for us. God always had us in mind. Verse 34, if your people go out to battle and they pray, then... Heal them and maintain. Hear them and maintain their cause. And in verse thirty-six, if they sin, and we know we all do, but if they sin, and because of that they become captives, then hear them and maintain their cause and forgive them. So that's what Solomon prayed to God at the at the temple's dedication. God responded too, and he also used a dialectic argument. He appeared to Solomon at night. He had determined in his mind and heart that the temple was going to be seen as a house of sacrifice. And he uttered what's a pretty famous if then therefore statement. It comes from 2 Chronicles 7.14. Some of you probably know that by heart. And it says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then or therefore I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So what's the key for us? We have to pray. We have to humble ourselves. We need to seek him and turn from our wicked ways. And sometimes it's not necessarily all that wicked. Sometimes it's just not exactly what God wants you to do. Like sometimes I'm not like wicked. I just know that I'm not supposed to be doing this right now, but you know. (laughs) That type of thing. Paul did another type of dialectic argument. This time it was found in his second letter to Timothy, which was written around 65 to 67 AD. Interestingly, it was his last letter and was written shortly before his death. And in 2 Timothy 2, verses 11 through 13, it says, the saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him, and I'm going to say that then, then we will also live with him. If we endure, then or therefore, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, then or therefore, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, then he remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. Now, interestingly, and not unexpectedly, there are a number of these dialectic if-then arguments that relate specifically to Jesus. Now, this is not even beginning to give any praise to Satan, but the bottom line is he's been around a lot longer than all of us collectively in this room. And he is deadly serious about his agenda to undo God, to unseat God. So he therefore is, he's, he's actually pretty good at knowing the Bible too. People don't like to talk about that, but he's been, think about it, if you were around for a millennium, you would know the Bible a little better than the way you know it. Now, be honest, come on, I'll I'll raise my hand, I know I would know it a little bit better. So Satan, when following Jesus's temptation after his anointing, after his baptism, he employed some if-then arguments. He thought he was pretty slick. He knows these work, so this is what he tried to do. We find them in Matthew 4, and we won't go through all of them, but it says in verse 3, he said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, and I'll add, therefore, command these stones to become bread, loaves. In verse six, he said, if you are the son of God, then or therefore, throw yourself down from the pinnacle. And just a quick aside, he used that one because that goes back to Psalm 91, where it says that if you if anything happens to you the angels would bear you up so not only is he trying to use scripture he's using this if then therefore argument in verse 9 the third one he said if you fall and worship me I will therefore give you all the kingdoms of the world and their glory so Satan used a pretty good kind of argumentation type of style but Jesus rebuked each one of those attempts and he did it with the truth by stating that it is written in scripture so in Matthew 8, verse 3, sorry, and he, and he referenced Deuteronomy. So he used the Old Testament to refute what Satan was trying to come up with. So in Deuteronomy, he used Deuteronomy 8, 3, and he said that man should not live by bread alone, but therefore by every word that comes from the mouth of God. To the second temptation, he said, in using Deuteronomy six sixteen. You shall not therefore put the Lord your God to the test, then diligently keep his commandments, testimonies, and statutes. In verse chapter six, verse thirteen, he said, You shall not worship the Lord, you shall worship the Lord your God, and therefore him only shall you serve. So Jesus used the dialectic, but he did it in the Beatitudes as well. If we take a look at that. If you look at Matthew 5, chapter 5, verses 1 to 14, and it parallels in Luke chapter 6, he taught the crowds and he taught them saying this. Blessed are you if you're poor in spirit, if you mourn, if you're meek, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you are merciful, if you're pure in heart, if you're a peacemaker, if you're persecuted. If you are reviled on my account, why? What's the therefore? Well, if you're poor in spirit, yours is therefore the kingdom of God. If you mourn, mourn, you shall therefore be comforted. If you are meek, you shall therefore inherit the earth. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you shall or they shall therefore be satisfied. If you are merciful, you shall therefore receive mercy. If you are pure in heart, you shall therefore see God. If you are peacemakers, you shall therefore be called the sons of God. If you're persecuted, yours is therefore the kingdom of God. And if you're reviled on my account, your reward is great in heaven. Why? Because they persecuted me, they reviled me as well. If you take a look at Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is, therefore, no longer good for anything except be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, and I insert the word if. If a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, therefore, let your light so shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. But Christ used the dialectic in another spot. Now, I'm going to encourage everybody, you need to read these on your own. It starts in... Uh, chapter 12, uh, verse 24 of John, and it goes on to chapter 16, verse 14. And this is kind of where I got the sermon from. I was reading and these ifs just kept jumping out. And I'm like, wow, anytime you see something in the scripture and it keeps coming up, then you need to kind of explore that a little bit more. So I found a number of of, uh, statements that Jesus made, if-then dialectical types of arguments. In chapter 12, verse 24, he says, If a grain of wheat dies but falls to the floor, it will, therefore, bear much fruit. 26, If anyone serves me, he must follow. Therefore, where I am, there he will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will, therefore, honor him. So service comes with a reward. My grandmother used to say, it pays to serve the Lord. No, she wasn't like, you know, kind of money hungry, that type of thing. She was telling me, you will be blessed. She didn't necessarily quote this verse, but that's exactly what she was talking about. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, my word will judge him on the last day. 13.8. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me, therefore. If I have washed your feet as your Lord and teacher, you therefore ought to wash others' feet. As feet, right? I'm am sorry. Yes, I was a lit major, but you know, I had a moment just then. You ought <laughs> you ought to wash others' feet. If you know these things and do them, you are therefore blessed. If God has glorified me as the son of my man, God will glorify me. If you love, have love for one another, people will therefore know that you are my disciples. That's one that I like a lot. You can know that we're Christians because of how we interact with each other, because of the love that we share. 14 verse 2, if there are many rooms in my father's house, I therefore go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will therefore come again and bring you to me that we might be together. If you had known me, you would therefore have known my father also. Pastor Bill talks about that. Jesus is the express, is the human expression of God literally. So if we know him, you can therefore know the father. If you ask anything in my name, I will therefore do it. Now, we're not talking about lotto. You know, we're not talking about, I want to marry somebody rich and famous. He's not talking about it. He's talking about that you pray in keeping with his will. So if you pray what his will is, then he'll do it. Not necessarily what you want. But if you love me, you will therefore keep my commandments. If anyone loves me, he will therefore keep my word. And it comes with three promises. My father will love him. We will come to him. And we will... Make our home or tabernacle with that person. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced that I was leaving, that I'm going to the Father. Chapter 15, verse 6, it says, If anyone does not abide in me, and we talked about that, I am the vine. He is therefore thrown away and withers and is gathered and is burned. Because for us to be who we need to be, we need to be connected. There needs to be a life-flowing source coming through us, from him as our source. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can therefore ask whatever you wish, not lotto and stuff, but you can ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you if you're asking in accordance with my will. If you keep my commandments, you will therefore abide in my love, as I has kept the Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. If you do what I command you, you I will therefore no longer call you servants, but I'll call you friends. If the world hates you, now know that it therefore hated me first. If you were of the world, the world would therefore love you as its own. But I have taken you out of the world, and therefore, that's why it hates you. Remember, if they persecuted me, they will therefore also persecute you. Now, that's not too popular in America. You know, we want to name it and claim it and all of that. That's a whole another sermon. I could do a sermon about that. We won't do that now. But the bottom line is that uh, the world did not love Christ. He loves us. We love him. And therefore, we need to expect that sometimes things are not going to go necessarily the way we want. I was talking to a young man the other day, he was having a hard time at this camp. He literally was like cussing people out and fussing and fighting and stuff. And I wasn't necessarily one of the staff, but I came on the last day and I saw this and I pulled him to the side and I said, you know what kid, it doesn't make a difference how you start, it's how you finish. And it also doesn't make a difference what it is that's going on in your life. The key is how do you respond to it? So that's just an encouragement. Because if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you, therefore, also. If they had kept my word, meaning my teaching and my instruction, they would therefore also keep your word, your instruction. Here's an interesting one. If I had not come and spoken to them, they wouldn't be guilty of sin. However, I've come because if I'd done works that no one else had done, and I did, but they hadn't seen him, they therefore wouldn't be guilty of sin. If I do not go, this is now chapter 16, 7. If I do not go away, the helper or the Holy Spirit will therefore not come to you. But if I go, I will therefore send the Holy Spirit to you. And the last one, he's come to verses 8 to 11. It says when, not if, but when he comes, he will therefore, talking about the Holy Spirit, convict the world concerning sin, because they don't believe me, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and concerning judgment, because Satan is in fact going to be judged. In fact, he has been judged already, it's just a matter for this to all play out for us to see. So some closing thoughts. I'm sure as I was talking, you could come up with some other if-then-therefores. I don't remember which one it was as he came up when I was like, Oh see, look at all these that came up. And she said, well, what about this one? And I said, oh, yeah, that's a good one, but it, I'm not going to necessarily use that one. But, <laughs> but I'll give you a shout-out. And what I encourage you to do is listen for if-then types of arguments. And everywhere you go, and all of the conversations that you have or that you listen to, listen for it. Is the person just making an emotional plea that's not based on reality, It's not based on truth? Or are they saying, well, if so-and-so and so, then therefore this needs to be the outcome or this needs to be the perspective, and they're looking at both sides of the coin. Because I, other than... The word of god and the holy spirit christ our father i don't see absolute truth anywhere so when these guys get on tv the radio and all of this and then talking all of this oh yeah this this is the way it is the other night i was laying down before i went to sleep i was listening to this guy on the radio and i was like what come on man i can argue that now and you have a a, a mic and like people listening to you maybe i need to get like on tv or something but who knows but what I'll do is let's close by reading Romans fifteen verses four to seven It says, "For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope endurance encouragement. we can have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together." You may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another. Be encouraged. So I had my own little dialectic statement that I want to throw in there. This is is mine. If we have as his children the Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts, and the Bible to fill our minds. Therefore, we should endure and be encouraged in his love. If we have these things, we can endure. We can make it despite what we see, how we feel, what's going on. I look at what's going on in our country and I get not really depressed. Sometimes I get angry, but I mean, I look at what's going on and I say, my goodness, uh, if I wasn't saved and I know that my home is not here then I could get ugly depressed about it people are talking about yeah go get your guns now it's like that is not what we're supposed to do what we're supposed to do is be encouraged and strengthened in him he will bring this to a head judgment is in fact coming so if we have as children have the Holy Spirit and the Bible to speak to our minds and hearts then we can endure and we can do all that's necessary in his love why because what we are called to do is to live and move and have our being based on faith and his grace for us so final thought jesus calls us to have faith again john 12 24 to john 16 14 take your time Read each one of those. Literally, as I was putting this together, I was like, oh, this could be a sermon. and That could be a sermon. This could be a sermon. But the bottom line is is that he's there. He's telling us the truth. He's He's letting us know what we need to do. So he calls us to faith, to abide in him, to keep his commandments, to know that we are hated by the world, to know that he was persecuted, faith to know that he went to prepare a place for us, we should have faith that he sent the holy spirit to indwell and guide and comfort us we should have faith that the world will in fact be convicted of sin by the holy spirit this isn't going to go on forever and ever this madness that we see on tv you know out in the byways and the highways the deal is, is it's not going to be this way forever jesus has, has called us to have faith to serve him to hear and understand his word and there are times, listen, I'm up here talking now, right? There's times when I read the Bible and it's like, I'm like, dang, did I get stupid overnight? What's, what happened that I'm not kind of getting it? It's okay. It's okay because we're reading a love letter from the creator of the universe whose bandwidth is so great we can't really understand it. So there's going to be times when he'll say something that we don't necessarily get. Don't give up. Keep reading. Keep reading, keep trusting, keep leaning on him. We should have faith to know that we have been washed by him and therefore we have the capacity and should be washing and loving one another. Jesus calls us to have faith so that we can glorify him, that we can love one another, that we can know him, that we can ask for things as his children of a loving father in accordance with his will and we should have faith to love him. So last thought before we pray we have been called and equipped to do the work of ministry. We are able to endure for service and sometimes service is easy but sometimes it comes with a little bit of work. We are to invite the Holy Spirit's enabling presence into our lives why so that we can effectively honor our father and our lord jesus christ and what we're doing to honor him is to manifest acts that proclaim his kingdom and that heal others that we encounter proclaim his kingdom like paul did when he was provoked by these idols and to heal others and healing can mean physical but it can mean spiritual, it can mean emotional, any type of healing that we need. Everyone in here, I know like almost everybody in here, there's something going on with everyone. And what we should be about is trying to promote healing in each other. That's what this is all about. So let's pray. Closing prayer. Lord, we come before you. We just thank you for all the things that you blessed us with, Lord. We thank you for the fact that While in the world, people with mics and platforms and all of that wax so eloquent that we have the truth. I pray that you give us the courage, the endurance, the enablement to speak your words, to proclaim your kingdom, your truth, Lord, as opposed to acquiescing. Everybody isn't necessarily called to be on a microphone, be on a TV and all of that, but everywhere we go, you've put us as your children in context in society so all of us meet someone and we could be able to share something scripture says lord that we are living epistles so i pray that you give us what we need so that way whether we're using words or not people look at us and say there's something about that person or this is the person that i want to talk to because i know i've been going through some changes or They seem to have a peace or they seem to have joy. Lord, help us to really look like and act like your children. We love you. We love you. Help us to love each other. Help us to do the work that you would have us do. Help us to know that while we might not know everything, our daddy sure does. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for sending the Holy Spirit and we look forward to all that you're going to do in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.